Welcome to Inside Angle. This is Dr. Gordon Moore. I'm your host. And today I'm talking with Dr. Jean Christian, who is a chief medical officer of St. Mary's Hospital in Richmond, Virginia, part of the Bon Secours Health System. Welcome, Dr. Christian. Thank you, Gordon. Tell me about your work on quality and what got you into this position now. A little bit about your trajectory, because I understand you are an orthopedist, and here you are working on quality and coding, and it just begs the question, how did you get there? Right. You know, I've asked that question quite a bit, actually. Not common for those of us in orthopedics to sort of head in that direction. It is a little different for me, but I actually practiced clinical orthopedics for about 28 years. And sometime in 2012, I was approached about taking the chief medical officer job with Carolina's Healthcare System at our Mercy Hospital campus, where I had actually been working as an orthopedist. And considering my career over the years, thought, I'm ready for something different. I have been in leadership positions throughout my career, yeah, not only in orthopedics, but in medical staff and administration and inequality improvement committees that I've been part of. And I thought, Maybe this is an opportunity for me to do something different in medicine that didn't involve, you know, one patient at a time. It was a chance for me to work on improvement that would affect not one person, but thousands of people and and really help improve the overall quality of the care we provide. So after some consideration of jumping over the fence, as we say to the administrative world, I took that position in, in March of 2012. And it was really a cold turkey move for me. I went from full-time orthopedic surgery to full-time hospital administration. So I, I gave up clinical practice completely at that point, which was a, it was a tough decision. But, you know, I, I felt I was ready for something else, and that made a lot of sense. At Carolinas, which is now Atrium Health, there is an amazing amount of work around quality improvement, an amazing amount of organization. I understand that you were part of that and looking for, within the context of orthopedics and spine surgery, opportunities for improvements in healthcare delivery that would improve patient outcomes as well as improve cost savings. Can you tell me a little bit about that work? Well, you know, the quality improvement work, uh, chief medical officers, that's probably one of our major parts of our job. It's, it's the first part of the job description is, you know, we improve the quality and uh, safety of the patients that we take care of in the acute care setting. So a lot of the work is performance improvement and process improvement. But one of the more important aspects of that work that I discovered after I really gotten into it and started looking at how do we do improvement work, how do we change clinicians as far as doing best practice and doing clinical transformation, is a lot of it depends on how you're measured. And if you're not measured properly, then what your improvement work may or may not entail has a lot that plays into. So if your, for instance, length of stay looks like it's 25% above what everyone else's is, gee, you know, are we not doing things properly on the clinical side? Are our clinical pathways incorrect? Are our physicians not following best practice? But when you dig into it, oftentimes what you find out is when you're being compared to others, you find that well, our patients don't seem like they're as sick as everyone else's, but you know we feel that they are. And that's when I discovered the importance of documentation. Because really, when you start looking at quality metrics, you look at how everything is measured, it all comes down to what's in the medical record and how it's coded. Coding is everything. And so I found that out fairly quickly as I dug into what our issues were at Mercy when I first took the position and quickly discovered that if we improve documentation, our expected numbers, for instance, for readmissions, mortality, we are now getting credit for that. So if your observed to expected wants to improve, you want to make sure that your expected is correctly measured. So 
when we started digging into some of the work that I did, I found we had a lot of opportunity there. And in many cases, some of our physicians found that they actually were doing great work. They just weren't getting credit for it because they weren't documenting properly. And, and that's when I became a disciple, so to speak, of, of the whole documentation world. That's one of those areas where I hear a lot about clinician and physician frustration and practices in the burden of documentation and the, the detail and everything that has to go into the note. You know, I, I had one guy at a meeting say, I can sit down, who's a physician, I can sit down in a medical lounge and I can have a conversation with somebody about congestive heart failure and everybody knows what I'm talking about and there's no ambiguity. And yet when I document, I have to get into all this detail and it's it's not clinically relevant and it's just absurd. What do you think about that? But it, you know, it's real. Physicians, we speak more in general clinical terms, we don't really speak in diagnostic terminology. And unfortunately, the coding world really has to live in diagnostic terminology. And so we have to be very specific. So you're right. If I'm sitting in the lounge and I'm talking to my colleagues and I'm saying to my nephrologist, you know, I've got a patient that I think's got some renal failure that looks like the creatinine's going up. Could you come see him? That's what I would say. But in the chart, you know, what I really should have said of I've got a patient with acute kidney injury and acute renal failure that needs to be looked at and actually document that properly is what it is. And we don't talk the same way we need to document. And I think that's where the disconnect is for physicians. That rings true to me. You know, as I think about, you know, in a conversation, we can use shorthand and the shorthand can communicate a lot. But if I'm going to talk to a cardiothoracic surgeon and they're going to go in there and do a procedure, they're going to want a great deal of specificity and information about the patient. And it's that kind of specificity that has to be represented in the way we record information about a person so that there is no ambiguity. In a, when we have a written record, it's a static thing, and there's no chance of dialogue and going back and forth, like, hey, I need to know a little bit more if I'm going to go in there and do something about it. So if we only have a vague representation then the interpretation can be broad and therefore we won't know was something done appropriately or not. Is this a quality problem? Is this just a lack of documentation? Does that ring true? Absolutely. And that was what I found out when I started looking into it because there are places in our facility where we actually were doing really great clinical work, but our metrics didn't look good. And everyone was sort of scratching their heads and the clinicians were like, I'm doing everything by best practice. I don't understand it. And then when we started looking into the documentation part and really teasing it out, we saw some significant opportunities that really just a few changes in terms and making sure that that was in the medical record, the metrics changed dramatically. So as I started to talk to physicians about that, that was really the message I was carrying is you need to take credit for what you do. Get the credit you deserve for the acuity of the illness of the patients you care for. Because every physician will say when they're being compared to other physicians on quality metrics, the first thing most of them will say, well, my patients are sicker. Well, great. Just prove it. And the only way you can prove it is to document properly just what their real conditions are. And if you do that and you're good at that, then you will actually get credit for it. And in many cases, you'll see improvement. And there, there are some physicians that may not see that much dramatic improvement because they're already good at it. But I can tell you that when I started the work, most were not. I'm thinking again about, you know, a, a colleague sitting there and saying, this is all just about the money. You're just trying to squeeze dollars out of this. And this is really not, not about patient care. And I, and I guess we really are touching on that because you're describing this as, yes, it could drive revenue, but it really is a lot about quality and how we understand people. How have you responded to that? You know, it's all about the money kind of pushback. Well, you know, unfortunately, in years past, that's what physicians heard when they would go to utilization management meetings what was always thrown up was, here's our dollars that we haven't billed for because we haven't documented properly or the queries weren't answered for. So the message was always about the billings for the hospital. And 
Honestly, at some point, physicians grow weary of hearing that. It's not a message that they can really latch on to over time, particularly if you're an independent physician. If you're not employed by the hospital, you know, you're not getting your paycheck from them, and they don't care that much. They're, they're going to make sure their documentation and their op note if you're a surgeon is proper. They're going to make sure all of that is properly done on their end because it means something for their reimbursement. But when you talk the hospital side, you're talking about some third party, it doesn't really ring very true. But when you start to talk about quality metrics, And you talk about value-based purchasing, which is the new world we're in, and everyone's being measured, including the physicians on an individual basis, now it matters. There are dollars attached to it for physicians, and there's penalties that can ensue if you don't meet those quality metrics. So that's become a different conversation now. And so when we talk to physicians about that, that's what we talk about. We don't talk about really billings to the hospital. We talk about your quality metrics. Take credit for what you get. Are there dollars associated with it in value-based purchasing? You betcha there are. And can they affect you individually? Yeah, they, they don't individually affect many physicians personally yet, but they will. And that day is coming. So physicians are beginning to realize that. So they're starting to marry up the quality conversation with you know, the dollars that are tied to that quality. But it, when I first started talking with physicians, I just wanted to take the dollars out of it. I wanted it to be about... This is what the quality metrics look like for you, doctor. And they're not as good as your peer group, so let's find out why. And if it's documentation, let me help you with that. Because, you know, you're a good physician. You get good results, but you can't show it. So let's show it. And that rings true. So how do things go, you know, back in North Carolina when you were doing this kind of work? What sort of results did you get? Well, as it turned out, when we first started talking about this, we didn't really have, other than the individual hospital CDMP programs and coders who would reach out to physicians individually with queries, the education program really didn't exist. And so what really drove us to start talking to physicians on the education piece was the whole conversion to ICD-10. Because everybody was afraid, no one understood it, it's really broadened, we need to educate. So as we started talking about how do we educate the ICD-10, the conversation quickly turned to, well, it's not just about the ICD-10 piece, let's just educate about documentation in general. And at Carolinas, we didn't really have a centralized repository for the source of truth, so to speak. So we created what we call the Documentation Excellence Committee. And for us, in our primary enterprise, it was a system committee. And that was the committee that had physician members from the different specialties. I chaired it as we brought it together. And we had CDMP, we had coders at the table, we had everybody at the table that could talk through what was needed and how we could document better. And so that committee started as a place to let's just teach ICD-10, and it quickly morphed over time into, hey, let's start looking at all the quality metrics that are tied to value-based purchasing. Let's look at mortality. Let's look at readmissions. Let's see how this documentation piece corresponds to those quality metrics. And quickly found that not only was there opportunity there, but there were some really quick fixes that we could provide. So we started educating physicians by group and, and by individual. And as we started to do the work, we asked our coders and CDMP staff, can we get more real time with our docs? Rather than send them a query after the patient's been discharged and they have to go back into a chart after the fact, which physicians always hated to do, can we do concurrent coding? So we created some teams in the hospitals that were up on the floors where we saw the most opportunity. And we had coders and CDMP nurses on the floors with the physicians, pretty much elbow to elbow, and started having those conversations with them while the patient was still in the hospital. And that made a dramatic difference. Physicians began to understand how important it was because we had people there with them while that patient was still in the hospital to help them with the coding piece. And it helped also because they could ask questions real time. So it really started out as how do we educate better? And then it became, well, how do we actually improve the entire process by doing this better? 
was it critical to have the person there elbow to elbow? I'm um, just thinking about the cost of staffing that. It, it made a difference in the places we did it. And we didn't do it on every unit. We looked at our opportunities in the documentation. We saw some in cardiology. We saw some in general surgery. We saw some in neurosurgery. So we, we specifically targeted those units and those physicians. So it was targeted work, places where we knew we needed to make a difference. In some of our general medicine units, we saw opportunity with our hospitalists, but we didn't. It wasn't every unit had it. It was, where's our opportunity? Where do we need to educate the most and target those areas? And then we had generalized education that we had rolled out to the physicians that we made available to them, uh, websites with you know education they could get on the internet. And as physicians began to understand the importance of that, we had more and more physicians actually partake of the education process. Is this something that you go through a learning curve and you get people up to speed and then you can back it off and you're pretty much good to go? You can. And again, you, you look at your different specialties where you find opportunity. And once you get the majority of the physicians understanding it, then you can then focus your efforts in other places where you think you need to do the work. But since we had a documentation excellence committee that really watched and observed and measured the effects of this on an ongoing basis, we were always able to look back and see, are we maintaining that improvement that we had gotten? If we saw it slip, we could certainly go back and talk with the physician group again and, and re-engage them. But it was interesting, once the physicians knew what to do, I mean, and learned from it, and we really didn't have to go back that often. One of the measures of success for us is that we were measuring not how many queries were responded to and what would the percentage of response rates were. It was how many less queries did we send out over time? Because if we were sending less out, we knew that the physicians were then documenting properly, so we could tell that they were improving. That was our measure of success. Are we sending out fewer queries than we used to? That was our goal. In years past, CDMP was always, their measure of success was how many queries did they send, how many percent responses did they get, how many agreements did they get. I mean, that's been a metric that CDMP and coding has been looking at for many, many years. But our goal was to actually decrease the amount of those that were coming out. Yeah, I mean, I got to figure, there I am working on the floors, and if I've got somebody tapping my shoulder or I'm getting messages when I'm logging into the EMR, I should quickly learn that if I'm going to document this thing, I want that level of specificity or I'm going to get this inquiry coming at me. And so let me go ahead and take care of that now up front rather than wait for the query to come in the back end. And that should extinguish it, just as you're saying. So is that, did you track that? You tracked that and that did actually bear out over time? Absolutely did. I can tell you from my own personal experience, again, you know, the orthopedic surgeon in the room, when I started getting queries about, you know, doctor, we saw that you transfused two units of blood in your post-op total hip patient, did not see anywhere where you had indicated the reason for that. For instance, could that have been acute blood loss anemia? Well, you know, by golly, it was. All I had to do was write that, but I never wrote it. I just said, patient hemoglobin is 8 or 7.5. I'm going to transfuse two units. What I needed to say was a patient has acute blood loss anemia with a hemoglobin of 7.5, I'm going to transfuse two units. So after I got a few queries, finally I realized, gee, if I just say that every time I do it, I won't get a query anymore. And by golly, that worked like a charm. So that type of education really does make a difference. Were there any surprises for you when you were rolling this out? Yeah, I think the surprises were that one of the good surprises was that when we started really explaining to the physician groups and certain specialties where their opportunities were, I really was surprised that the majority of physicians really embraced it. Once they understood what it meant for them from a personal perspective, like here's my quality metrics, I want to be measured properly, and also from the standpoint of their, it really did help their patients because their patients now had accurate documentation of what occurred with the episode of care that they had. 
that surprised me. I expected I expected more resistance. I had pockets of that, but I didn't have the large group of resistors that I thought was going to take me a year to get over. I, it, it was some of them were harder than others, but it was a matter of months, not years, to get there. I was surprised that people were beginning to understand that better. Once we changed how we messaged it, it made all the difference in the world. And that change being the, it's about quality? Exactly. It was all about quality metrics. We stopped, we just stopped talking about hospital billing. Just stopped yeah. talking about it. So now, now you're chief medical officer at St. Mary's Hospital and part of the Bon Secours system in Richmond, Virginia. Tell me about that role and what you're engaged in at this point. Yeah, so I, I moved on to a role, similar role as a chief medical officer at St. Mary's of Bon Secours. And so roles very similar uh, in looking at quality improvement, quality metrics, you know, length of stay and, and efficiency of, and patient flow are all parts of the opportunities every hospital has. And ours particularly, we're a tertiary care facility for Bon Secours, Virginia, so we get a lot of referrals. So we're very busy. We have a lot of high capacity. So that kind of work is very important for us. When I came here, I found very similar opportunities as far as the documentation improvement went. And every hospital system has a CDMP program. They've got coders. There was certainly some struggles here getting physicians to understand that because, again, the message had always been the dollars billed for the hospital versus the quality metrics. So I started to do some of the same work I'd done at Carolinas here, sort of repeated the same type of process we had and found that that you know, resonated a lot with the physicians once I started talking in those terms here. So same types of opportunity, and I, and I approached it the same way, is here's the quality metrics that you're going to get credit for. Take credit for how sick your patients are. And how's the role out there? Is it uh, matching what you had experienced before? I would say it's not as robust just because I've had to sort of recreate the, the structure for that, which we've been working on for the past year. I've been in this role now a year. So we're beginning to catch up to it. Because when I did this work at Carolinas, I had been in that role. It was really about a year and a half to two years in as we were doing those improvements that we really started to see the difference. So I would say at about a year here, we're starting to see some change. So it, it takes some time to, to really get that message out and start getting everyone on board with it. Because even some of the, the administration folks that were here uh, needed to understand that message as well. And so I think we're, we're on a pretty good trajectory now to, to start making those improvements. A lot of this has to do, too, with, with how physicians have to answer the query process. And in the electronic medical record, my experience with the way most EMRs do it on their own is that it's done through a message center type system. It's rather clunky. Physicians have to go into that, open it up, then they have to go into the record, make a change. Once we started cleaning that up at Carolinas, and I'm in the process of cleaning that up here as well, and made it easy for the physicians to answer those queries and get them in the record, we saw even faster improvement. So it's really, it's really multi-tiered. It's understanding what you need to do and then making it easy for the physicians to do the right thing. Yeah, I've heard people describe programs that add clicks to their day as being painful. And so you were going after approaches that would reduce that. Absolutely. So tell me about Lieutenant Christian's Little Blue Book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you found it. So back in my Navy days, I had been part of the Navy Health Profession Scholarship Program and went through med school there. And then when I got out of medical school, did an internship at the Naval Hospital in Portsmouth, Virginia, and I was going to be pursuing orthopedics. The way it worked there was after a year of internship, you were assigned as the general medical officer on board a ship. So I was assigned to the USS Nashville, LPD-13, Lucky 13. We were a marine amphibious transport ship. So when I got to the ship, I, you know, I had the usual turnover with the other physician that was there, which is usually an afternoon of here's where your stateroom is, here's where sick bay is, and this is where you go for morning quarters. Good luck. Have a nice year. And, and that was my turnover. So 
got to the ship. I had to kind of learn by doing. Fortunately, I had some good enlisted folks on board that could help me through it. And about halfway through that deployment, I realized, you know, it'd be nice if somebody would just have, like, something written down, like a little manual. How do you do shipboard medicine? At the time, it didn't really exist. So I, uh, I decided that would be my project while I was deployed. You know, you're out to sea for six months at a time, so you're taking care of the crew, and you've got some time to do some reading and study and some writing. And I decided that I would put together this manual. So that was sort of the genesis of it, was just not having anything to go to to help me do my job. So after that year, I, I had taken on notes, put it together. My lovely and charming wife helped type it up for me and submitted it to the Navy. I had a captain, Captain Cowan, who's my sort of my co-author, who sponsored it at the Bureau of Navy Medicine at the time and took it up the chain of command for me. That became Lieutenant Christian's Little Blue Book. And, and it's still out uh, there. It is still out there. It's interesting because my, my middle son, Matthew, just finished his internship at the Naval Hospital in San Diego. So he's going to be a Navy physician as well. And, uh, you know, medicine's changed a little since 1981, right? So that book actually has gone through a couple of edits. It's, it's gotten some revisions put in because medicine's changed. Some of the Navy regulations have changed. So my son is now on board a ship and deployed and has that book. His job is to, to do edition number three. So it's going to be kind of cool, but my, my, my middle son's going to be the editor for the third revision. So I'm kind of happy and proud about that for him. And it's just sort of a neat legacy left over from my days on board. Dr. Christian, that is a terrific story, and it really, it's no surprise to me that your interest in improving process and communication started early and maintained it through your career. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, Gordon. For Inside Angle, this is Gordon Moore. You can find more podcast episodes at www.3mhisinsideangle.com.